uh, entitled Dollars and Cents this morning, um, and we've sort of taken a minute at the beginning of each message in this series to, to just own and admit and deal with some of what is wrong uh, with the way that so much teaching has been done on these issues related to money. And what it ends up doing is it ends up forcing churches to decide whether we're going to just not talk about money at all or whether we're going to talk about it in some sort of a way that offends people and makes people think you're trying to get in their pocket. And unfortunately, um, money is such an essential part of everyday living for every one of us that if the church keeps their mouth shut about it, then they're not doing people a favor. Secondly, if we as the church keep our mouth shut about the issue of money just so we don't offend anybody or make anybody think we're trying to steal from anybody, if we keep our mouth shut about it, we're not being faithful to Scripture because as we've talked about, the Scripture deals with this over and over because God loves us. He wants us to have a successful life. And in order to do that, we have to understand some principles about how he's designed us to interact with money. So too often, the church's approach um, to teaching on money has been about guilt and pressure and manipulation, and all of us have experienced that. If we haven't been in a church where that was the case, we've heard radio commercials, TV evangelists, all of that kind of stuff that is trying to guilt you into it, pressure you into it, manipulate you into scratching a check and sending it to support that ministry. There are actually churches who, you know how some churches, we don't do this here, but some churches, uh, every week they will they will put the budget in the bulletin, right? This is where we are in the church budget this year. This is how much last week's giving was, that kind of stuff. There are churches who, not many, but there are some churches who actually at the end of the year print the names of all the members in the bulletin along with what they gave that year. <laughs> so good news, we don't do that here. Um. I heard of a church that, that basically looked at their membership, knew what everyone's vocation was, looked at the average income in that area for that vocation, figured out how much everybody made, and then sent them a bill for 10% at the end of the year. So, so this whole guilt, pressure, manipulation thing, like these are extreme situations, but this kind of stuff is done. And, and don't even get me started when there's a building fund or some capital fund and we've got to talk about it every week. So there's a lot of that. There's a whole, there's a whole like um, school of theology, a whole way of teaching that is known as the so-called prosperity gospel. And, and the prosperity gospel basically teaches that uh, God wants everybody to be wealthy in this world. God wants everybody to be healthy in this world. God wants you to have no problems whatsoever, and he just wants to pour blessings upon you. But in order for you to receive those blessings, you have to have enough faith. And how do you show that you have enough faith? By sending a check to some given preacher, right? And, and oftentimes this is televised or on the radio or something like that, and they'll do telethons, and they'll be saying, look, you can, you can for $1,000, 
$10,000, you can receive the royal blessing, and for $10,000, you can receive the heavenly blessing, right? Really, for five grand, I will send you a prayer cloth that I prayed over myself, and then you can, you can put it on your grandmother in the hospital, and it will heal her, and, and these blessings are for sale. It was fascinating this week. Let me just be really fair. Um, when it, I don't generally call out other preachers. Um, we all say some things wrong. We all say some things right. I'm not about pointing out all the bad guys. The one guy I've been rough on over the years is a guy named Benny Hen. I tend to be tough on Benny because Benny deserves it. And so, uh, but I don't know if you guys saw this this week. Benny Hen, who is this... Uh, really leading proponent of the prosperity gospel. I mean, the poster child of the prosperity gospel, Benny Hinn. And uh, this last week, he came out uh, on television and said that he is correcting his theology, that he has been teaching wrongly on this subject of prosperity and giving for the last 20-some years, and that he thinks it is an affront to the Holy Spirit for you to say, if you send $1,000, you will get a blessing. And he said that he is so disgusted with himself for having done this and with this style of teaching that he promises he will never, ever do this again and that his preacher friends that are in the same circle, if they do it, he will rebuke them. He said that he doesn't expect to get called to do telethons anymore because he will rebuke the people who are calling him to do the telethon. That was Benny Hinn this week. Yeah. So, so... Praise God that, you know, there is so much of this um, wrong teaching floating around out there, and most of us have gotten some of it somehow, some way, that we just tend to be tentative about this, but God is still moving, and God is still moving in the hearts of people, and God is still teaching the Word. So that's what we're going to do today. The question is not, you know, what does this person teach? What does that television program teach? The question with all this kind of teaching out there is, how are we supposed to believe, how are we supposed to know what to believe about money, right? And so I say we should, we should ask the question, what does God's word say about this? What, what it, did Jesus talk about money at all? Yeah. What did he have to say about money? That should be the question that we're asking. And Jesus seems to have some serious disagreements with some people who, who claim to preach in his name when it comes to this topic of money. And I will say this, Jesus seems to have some serious disagreements with American culture in general when it comes to this topic of money and material things. Because in America, if you're raised in this country, you were generally raised with the general belief that when I get what I want, I will be happy. If I get what I want, I will be happy. And Jesus says, well, actually, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, those are contradictory statements, right? And so uh, at some point, we're forced to make a choice as Christians, as people who uphold the Bible, we are forced to make a choice at some point whether we are going to listen to Jesus on this topic or whether we are going to buy what the commercials are selling us. Beer commercials are not selling beer. They're selling happiness. Car commercials are not selling cars. 
They're selling happiness. We know this. They're saying, listen, if you have this material thing, you will have a better life. If you have this material thing, you will be more fulfilled. So we really have to come down and go, do we actually believe Jesus on this or are we going to believe what we're being sold? So in week one of this series, we talked about money and the heart and how um, material things can become a source of idolatry in our lives. And last week, we talked about money and the mind. And today, I want to get more practical. And today, I want to talk about money in our hands. What, what are we actually doing? How, what, what do we, how do we handle these material things that uh, are part and parcel of our lives, things that come into our lives, whether it's paychecks or whether it's inheritances or whether it's gifts or material things that we've earned or built or bought or whatever, we need to start thinking with, about our hands. What are we really doing with all of this? And that means we're going to talk about generosity as a way of life. Because the repeated teaching of the Bible is that we need to live a life of generosity, okay? Let's bury that in our brains right now. The repeated teaching of Scripture is we need to live a life of generosity. And I'm going to just take you on a short tour. Open your Bibles to 1 John. It's all the way in the back of your New Testament. Open to the book of 1 John and go to 1 John chapter 3. You all know John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16. So go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. And listen to what John writes. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth." He's saying, if you've been granted the world's goods and you see someone in need, it is not enough to just believe the right things about God. It is not enough to just pat them on the shoulder and say, they're there. It is not enough to say, I'll pray for you, brother. But if you're not willing to share generously what God has given you with those who are in need, then you have a problem with God. Generosity should be part and parcel of the Christian life. Go to the book of Acts. And we're going to bounce around for a second here. Go to the book of Acts. Uh, right before Romans, you find Acts. And go to Acts chapter 20. This is, in Acts chapter 20, Paul has been pastoring this group of people for several years. And he's now leaving them. And so he wants to leave some final thoughts with them in the church of Ephesus. And here's what he says. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Listen to what Paul says to them. He says, He's talking about himself and his time there in Ephesus. He says, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now flip over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Just go about five, six, seven books to the right. 1 Timothy chapter 6 after 2 Thessalonians. You get to 1 Timothy, listen to what um, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world 
not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So Paul says, I have special instructions for those who are wealthy. And obviously, if Paul could look at ahead into the future to the uh, Southern California economy and see the way that we live, he would be writing to us, those who are wealthy. And he says to us, those who are wealthy, you don't need to just be rich in the world's goods. You need to actually be rich in good works. You need to be rich in generosity. You need to actually do good with what God has given you. Generosity should be the mark of Christianity. Now, one from the Old Testament, if you flip to the book of Proverbs, there's so many things in Proverbs that uh, talk about this topic, but I just want to show you one. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. In Proverbs 11, 24, it says this. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. In other words, there's the, someone who just gives things away, and, and yet his wealth increases. So there's one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there's one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. So God is telling us, listen, I'm not sitting up here in heaven going, I'm not going to be able to make the payroll this month if you don't give me more money. That's not why God calls people to be generous. God calls us to be generous because he has designed human life in such a way that when you live a lifestyle of generosity, you reap the benefit of living that lifestyle. And the benefit, according to Scripture, is tremendous. You guys, I had like 35 passages on this list to just take you through, but I'm going to stop there because I got other things to say. The Bible just goes on and on and on on this topic. A life of generosity is the life that God designed us for. According to Scripture, it's an essential mark of true Christianity. Generosity. So let's think about the practical impact of generosity in our lives. I mean, why does God make such a big deal about telling us to live generously? I'm going to give you a few things. The first is this. Generosity breaks the grip of materialism. When we are generous... It breaks the grip of materialism, which haunts us in our society. I want to read to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You could turn there if you want or just write it down. It's just going to take me a second. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, here's what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and also the richest man who ever lived, here's what he wrote in Ecclesiastes. He said this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Another translation translates it this way. He who loves money never has enough money. Right? When it's what you love, um, materialism has a grip on you. 
and it leaves you with this emptiness. I remember when our kids were little and we were driving around in minivans all the time, and, and I remember if we would be out and, and it would be lunchtime, and, and we'd say, you know, um, let's, let's go out to lunch. Kids, where do you want to go for lunch? There's only one restaurant they wanted to go to. There's only one place, and it has golden arches outside, right? That's where they want to go, because when you say, what do you want? They say, we want to get a happy meal. We want to get a happy meal. Come on, Dad, take the kids. They're screaming, happy meal, happy meal, happy meal. They got to get a happy meal, right? It's a cold burger or four nuggets made out of God knows what, right? And a few fries and a 10-cent toy that will break before we get home, right? That's what's in this thing in a cool little box and all that kind of stuff. But they, they're screaming for happy meals. We must have gave those kids a million happy meals when they were children just to shut them up. Right? They have to have happy meals, happy meals, happy meals. But you know what? My kids are all grown now, and not one of them has ever come back to me and said, Dad, I got to tell you, thank you so much for those early days when you bought me those happy meals because I have been fulfilled ever since. <laughs> right? Because here, here's a big secret, guys. This will come as a shock. The happy wears off right? It wears off so fast. And as adults, we haven't changed any. It's just that our Happy Meals have gotten more expensive, right? It's, it's now cars and vacations and houses and those kind of stuff. And those are great. They're wonderful. But I'm telling you, the happy wears off. It wears off. So generosity has the ability to break this grip of materialism because we have this misconception, and the misconception is having more will make me happy. And once we can get away from that idea, then we're set free to actually pursue things that do fulfill. Paul said, you know, godliness actually is a means of great gain when it comes with contentment, right? The gain isn't financial, Contentment doesn't come from those blessings. So we got to break that grip. Another misconception that we all deal with is we have this idea that having more will make me more important. That, that it, the really important people are the ones who, who have all the money, who pull all the strings, who sit in the big offices and all of that kind of stuff. We talk about rich people in terms of what he's worth, right? We equate worth and financial value. But the Bible does not equate our worth with our possessions. You, if you are a child of God, you don't get your worth from your possessions. Where do you get your worth? From Christ. You're in Christ. You are made in the image of God. That's where you get your worth. You are precious in his sight. That's a statement of your worth. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. That speaks of your worth. 
Your worth is not determined by how much money that you have in the bank. I want you to do this with me and, and really turn to you, take your, if you have a Bible, take it out. If not, look over somebody's shoulder, find this with me, okay? I want us to look with our eyes. If you have a, 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 you know, a phone or a notepad or whatever, look it up digitally, but I want you to go to Ephesians chapter one. By the way, I'll take a second here and do a completely unsolicited plug. Um, there's, a, there's a movie out in theaters right now called Overcomer. Went and saw it last week, and, and it was so great because in this movie, it's a great movie. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a low-budget Christian film. It's not going to be nominated for anything, but the story is amazing, and um, in the story, there's a character who is being drawn to the Lord, and someone gives her advice and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the book of Ephesians and open to Ephesians 1 and 2, and I want you to just take a highlighter, and I want you to highlight every word in there that tells you who you are in Christ. And it's so cool when I saw that in the movie because I've been doing that in my counseling office for 30 years. And, and so let me just give you a glimpse. We don't have time to do this. It's a great exercise at home. Ephesians 1 and 2, highlight everything that tells you who you are, um, but let, let's just do the first couple verses. We'll start in verse three after the greeting. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Now look at it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. You are blessed, okay? Highlight, underline, circle that word. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us, you are chosen if you're a child of God. In him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy. He says you're holy, that we would be blameless. He calls you blameless before him in love. Verse five, he predestined us. That means before the beginning of time, he picked you. He predestined us to adoption. You have been adopted by the King of kings and Lord of lords. As sons, you're a son of God or a daughter of God through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed. You have had grace freely bestowed upon you in the beloved. Verse seven, in him we have redemption. You are redeemed. That means he bought you back. He paid the price for your sin that you could never possibly pay on your own. Through his blood, the forgiveness, you're forgiven of our trespasses according to the riches, you're rich in his grace. That's just four verses. And it just goes on and on, and Paul just keeps pouring it out and pouring it out, going, no, don't believe this baloney that says you're important if you have a big name above your office door. Don't believe this baloney that says you're important if you live on the top of a hill and you get to look down upon everybody else. Don't believe that you're important because there's a lot more zeros in your bank account than there is in mine. My zero is pretty big, though. There's just one of them. But... but that's not what determines your importance. God says your value, your significance, your importance has been already established by him, in him, through him, for his glory. You're a child of God. It's this misconception that I just got to have more and then I'll be important. Third one I want to point out in the misconceptions list, having more will make me secure. That's where my security is going to be. Having more will make me secure. Let me read to you from Proverbs. 
And Proverbs, uh, again, speaks about this so much, but in Proverbs chapter 23, let me read to you what it says. Proverbs 23, do not weary yourself, this is Proverbs 23, 4, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Wealth makes itself wings and flies away. And if you have children, you already know this, right? You don't need me to tell you this. (laughs) If you have teenagers, it's like wings and a supersonic engine. It just flies away. And, and so he says, don't weary yourself. You're wearing yourself out for what? For what? For what are you breaking your back? So you can build the number in your checking account so you can buy a house with more square footage. What is it that you're wearying yourself for? Because I'm telling you, that stuff goes away. And God is trying to tell us again and again, if you think that if you can get enough money in the bank, you will have financial security, You have misunderstood what security is all about. It's a myth. Here's a a newsflash for you. The one who dies with the most toys still dies. (laughs) Right? All the money in the world can't do anything about that. Your only real security comes in the one who has defeated death. That's where your security comes from. So we've been fed all these myths about materialism and our whole lives we've been soaking in this and none of them are true. And what we need is to just be broken free from the bondage of materialism and generosity is one of the tools in the hands of God that breaks people free. The value that people assign to material things is a form of bondage. Now remember, we've already said this a couple of times. Having a lot is not bad. Being wealthy is not evil. It is not sinful to have a nice home. It is not sinful to have a nice car. It is not sinful to have a good retirement account. I'm not saying that. The Bible is not saying that. In fact, there's just as many verses in Proverbs that talk about the wisdom of saving and all of that kind of stuff. So we're not saying that it's bad. If God has given you a big bank account, hallelujah, that's a good thing. If he has given you a nice car, that is a good thing. This isn't about assigning false guilt for being blessed. It is great to have things, but it's bondage when things have you. That's what we have to get to understand. And bondage is not the will of God for anyone. Jesus came to set captives free. So a life of generosity can break the grip of the bondage of materialism. Now, let me give you another reason that God calls us to a life of generosity. Generosity aligns my life with the heart of God. Generosity aligns my life with the heart of God. You remember what we talked about in week one of this series? Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? Matthew chapter 6, 21, Sermon on the Mount. It's really easy to get your heart far from God 
when you begin to treasure material things. It's really easy to get your heart far from God by being selfish, by being stingy with material things. In fact, let's go back and look at that passage again. It's the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six. We'll take just a minute, look at one verse uh, that we looked at a couple weeks ago and we'll spend a second on it. Verse 19, Matthew chapter six. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not store up, or perhaps your version says, do not stockpile. That's the, that's the real meaning of the Greek word there. It, it, it's to, the, the word is thesaurizo, I believe, in the Greek. And what that means, it's a word from which we get our word thesaurus, right, which is a treasury of words. It's just a compiling all in one place. He's saying, don't stockpile, don't store up for yourselves Uh, material things that are only valuable in this world. It's talking about accumulated wealth that is just sitting there not serving any of the purposes of God. And the key phrase in this verse when he says not to store up, the key phrase is for yourselves. Do not store up for yourselves all of these worldly riches and just so you can lean on them, just so you can have them for a rainy day, just so you can be sure that you can trust in them because Material blessings can be a good thing. Abraham was rich because he was blessed by God. The scripture tells us that. Job was rich because he was blessed by God. And then Job went through a time where he was poor and he was still blessed by God. And by the end of the story, Job is rich, even more rich than he was before he became poor. Why? Because he's blessed by God. And so Job said, you know, God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? So Solomon was rich because God blessed him. The problem is not riches. There's no shame in being wealthy. The problem is when you make that wealth about yourself, Do not store up for yourselves these treasures. Your desires, your comfort, your satisfaction, that's when it turns sour. When you store it up for yourself. The heart of God is to bless all people. He told Abraham, listen, Abraham, I am going to bless you so much so that all the world will be blessed through you. God's heart is to bless others through us. And so if God is going to pour financial blessing into your life, it's because he wants to bless others. If God is going to pour a great education into your life, it's because he wants to bless others. If God is going to pour great um, uh, athletic abilities into your life, it's because God wants to bless others. God intends to pour blessings through us, not just into us. And that includes material blessings. So generosity aligns your lifestyle with the heart of God. God wants to bless people through us. And when we ease up and open our hands and allow God to use what he has put into our hands to do whatever it is that he wants to do, our lifestyle now is aligned with the heart of God. And our Christianity is no longer theoretical, it's real. In fact, if you look at scripture, this is so fascinating. If you look at scripture, it seems to place a very high value on three things. Faith, hope, and love, right? Not what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
love, right? Faith, hope, love, those are the three biggies, according to Paul. Faith is mentioned in the Bible 246 times. Hope is talked about 185 times, and love, the granddaddy of them all, is talked about 733 times. These are a big deal to God, and he is trying to make a point. Giving is talked about in the Bible 2,285 times. Now, again, why? Why is God telling us to live a life of faith? Why is God telling us to cling to hope? Why is God telling us to walk in love? Why is God telling us to be people who give generously? Why is he doing that? Because God loves us. Because he's trying to bless us. Because he's trying to actually give us what is fulfilling instead of letting us hold on to what will never, ever fulfill us. Because he knows that a life of faith is a blessed life. A life of hope is a blessed life. A life of love is a blessed life. And a life of generosity is a blessed life as well. Generosity aligns my lifestyle with the heart of God. Number three, generosity strengthens my faith. I love, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we don't have to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians 9, well, we're going to turn there in a minute, so go ahead and look. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let me tell you what he's talking about. Paul is writing the Corinthians and he's saying, hey, look, I'm on my way, I'm coming for a visit, I can't wait to see you all. And here's what he says. He says, "Um, by the way, go ahead and collect the offering that you've already committed to giving, which is to go to support those uh, Christians who are facing famine and persecution, and I'm gonna take it with me to give to them. So go ahead and prepare that offering because I'm gonna be there soon, and I want to um, be able to take that with me when I go. So he's talking to them about their giving, right? And in 2 Corinthians 9, verse six, listen to this. I wish I could preach all day on this, but I'm gonna go fast. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The favorite verse of the prosperity gospel teachers, okay? Come on, sow more seeds of faith by sending me more money and God will owe you more money. You will reap bountifully if you sow bountifully. Problem is that's not what the verse means. That's not what the verse is talking about. It's completely out of context. So let's read the context. So again, verse six, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. So there's no uh, send $1,000 and get a blessing here. There's no, uh, you have to give a certain percentage. It's the law, it's the rules. There's none of that. Let each one give what he's purposed in his heart. There's no manipulation. There is no guilting. There is no trying to force. He says, let each one um, do just as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not grudgingly. So, so what is Paul saying? He essentially is saying, look, yes, we're gonna take this offering. Yes, there's a tremendous need that needs to be met. But listen, you need to give what God has called you to give in your heart and don't be grudging about it. Like if you can't give without feeling upset that you're giving, don't give. 
That's what he's saying, not grudgingly. And if you can't give because it's been put on your heart by God to give, and the reason you're giving is because some slick preacher got up there and waved his arms and made you believe that if you don't give, God will hate you, then don't give. He says, give what God has put upon your heart to give. Don't do it grudgingly and don't let anybody force you to do it. For God loves a cheerful giver. And this, it gets better. Verse eight, and God is able. Guys, every time you see that phrase in the Bible, you should underline it. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So as you give, you don't have to worry that somehow you're not going to have what you need when you give to God what God has called you to give, what God has put on your heart, not what somebody convinced you you had to give. And when you do that, you can trust that God is going to take care of you and you're going to be fine. And, And how are you, for what reason does he do that? so that you will be equipped for every good work. So God is going to keep giving to you financially. He's going to keep taking care of you materially. Why? So that you could keep pouring that out, doing good works. Generosity is at the focal point of everything God is calling us to do when it comes to how we deal with money. It's an amazing picture. When you give generously, According to what God has called you to give, you are stepping right into the will of God. So our willingness to give generously really comes down to a question of whether we trust God to meet our needs. Go back and look again at verse 8 that we just read and ask yourself, do I believe him or do I not believe him? Start giving generously and you're going to continue to see God supply all of your needs Your faith is going to grow so that as you give, you go, wow, look how God took care of us. I can trust God and you're gonna trust him more and you're gonna be more generous and he's gonna continue to bless you and take care of you and meet your needs and your faith in God is going to strengthen. And and he provides for you so you can do every good work. So we get it, right? I'm hammering it home. Hopefully you get it. But here's the thing. It's hard It is so hard to even look at life this way. It doesn't come easily to us. There was a a man who was traveling and he was a business traveler. He was going through the airport, crowded airport. He had just like 20 minutes before he had to board his next flight and he's hungry and he runs into one of those little coffee shops in the airport, right? And, And he gets a coffee and a little bag, you know those donuts, those little bags of donut, little miniature donuts, right? He gets a little bag of miniature donuts and he gets his coffee and he goes to sit and there are no tables available. And he doesn't have time to mess around. And he looks and he sees over there, there's a table with just one guy sitting at it and an empty seat. And he goes, I'm just going to go sit across from that guy. So he goes and he, he puts his bag down and he puts his stuff down and he takes his jacket off, puts it on. And he drops into the chair and he takes a sip of his coffee and he reaches over and opens his little donut bag and he takes out a donut and he eats it and he puts the donuts back down on the table and that's when he notices the guy across from the table from him on the table reaches over picks up the donuts takes one out pops it in his mouth and sets them back down and smiles 
And he's like, oh my God, what did I just see? I cannot believe this guy just did that. What kind of a screwball is this? And then he goes, maybe he is a screwball. I'm not going to say anything, right? I'm just not going to, but he's mad. So he does this. <laughs> he gives him that look that could kill, right? And then he takes another donut and eats it. And he takes his bag and he moves it all the way over here right next to his cup, right? And the guy on the other side gets up, reaches across the table, grabs his donuts, takes out another donut, pops it in his mouth, puts it down, pushes the bag back to where it was, and smiles. And now he is just beside himself. And, and, and the, he eats a couple more donuts. And then, uh, the, then the guy gets up to leave. And he thinks, thank God, you donut thief, right? Get away from me. And as the guy gets up to leave, puts his jacket on, there's one donut left in the thing. He, the guy picks up the last donut, takes it out, breaks it in half, <laughs> pops half in his mouth, sets the other half down, pushes it over to the guy, smiles and waves, and leaves. And the guy is about to blow a gasket. He goes, I'm not eating that donut he touched. What a dirtbag. This guy took my donuts. Who does this, right? And so then he realizes he's got to leave. He gets up, grabs his jacket, puts it on, leans down to pick up his bag. And there on top of his bag is his bag of donuts. <laughs> Perfectly unopened. And he realizes what happened. All the while, he thought this guy was stealing his donuts, when in fact, he was sharing his donuts. That changes your perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> That's a rather significant difference, right? Listen, listen. God owns all the donuts. <laughs> right? God, think about how we think about this so much, that every time all these donuts, which are God's, right? And he asks us to share one. He's like, you know, you should give some money at your church. And we're like, oh, there's only 10 donuts in the bag. And then I got to give one. Now I only got nine and I need 11, right? <laughs> and, 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 and God says, hey, you know, there's this, there's this uh, family down the street, and, and they're, they're out of work, and maybe, maybe you could buy them some groceries. And we're like, yeah, but God, I, I, this is my money. It's not your money. It's God's money. So don't begrudge him when he asks you to do something with it. Don't begrudge him when he asks you to share it. It's not you that's sharing it. It's him who is sharing his donuts through you. God owns all the donuts. And if we could get that figured out, it would change our lives dramatically. Let me wrap it up with this. Fourth point here. Generosity changes the world. Why does God just have so much to say about living generously? Remember the 5,000 hungry people that were there all day waiting, listening to Jesus teach? Remember this story, right? I'm reminding you of this story because most of us tend to think that even if we do give generously and sacrificially, we don't have enough to make a difference anyway. What difference does it make what I can 
contribute. But there were 5,000 hungry men who had been there all day listening to Jesus, not to mention women and children, no doubt above 10,000 in the crowd, and, um, and they all needed to eat. And Jesus calls his disciples together and he goes, feed them. And, and how did they respond? <laughs> with, we had, with what? We don't have anything to feed them with. And Jesus, you could read this in Matthew 14 when you get home. Jesus says this, what do you have? What an interesting question. We don't have anything. What do you have? So they, they go into the crowd. John, so all four gospels tell this story, um, but John's the only one that mentions this. In John's gospel, it says that there was a little boy who brought his lunch that day. And he had, he had uh, five little biscuits and two little sardines. Two little fish and five little biscuits. His mom packed him a lunch. And he went that day and he was the only one who brought a lunch in his little Pokemon lunchbox. <laughs> and he had his lunch. And they went and he gave his lunch to Jesus. And Jesus prayed over it, blessed it, multiplied it, fed all of those thousands of people, and then they picked up baskets full of leftovers when it was done, right? 5,000 hungry men, plus women and children. One little boy brought a sack lunch. Now, don't misunderstand what happened. The little boy did not give his lunch to the people. The little boy gave his lunch to Jesus. And in the hands of Jesus, little becomes much. And so we have to get this straight. This is a mindset thing, just like we were talking about last week. We have to get this straight. Don't miss this. The boy didn't try to feed those people his lunch. He gave the lunch to Jesus. This isn't about you giving to some cause so that you can change the world. Don't think of it as giving to charity Give it to Jesus. Don't think of it as giving to help a family member who needs some support. Give it to Jesus. Don't think about helping the homeless. Give it to Jesus. And, and it may be that in your relinquishing it to Jesus, he says, yes, and give it to this homeless shelter. Yes, and help your brother-in-law. Yes, and, and take care of this need at the church. He may tell you any of those kind of things, but though you may be writing the check to World Vision, you're giving it to Jesus. Because guys, when Jesus gets what little you have, he can take what little you have and he makes it abundant. You said, oh, I had 10, 10 donuts and he, he wanted me to give away two Now I only got eight and I need 11. Jesus has a way of taking eight donuts and getting a dozen out of it. He has a way. I don't know how it works, but he is able to multiply loaves and fish. But first we have to give it to him. He owns all the donuts. When you give him control, he'll change the world with that little thing that you gave him. And by the way, this is a series on money, but generosity goes way beyond money. It's about giving up your seat on a crowded bus. It's about giving some encouragement to somebody who's just been facing a barrage of trials. It's about giving up your evening at home watching the Kardashians. 
so you can be out among someone who is hurting and really needs a friend. It's about taking the five talents that God has entrusted to you, or the two talents, or the one talent, and giving it back to him so that he can use it to change the world. That's what he meant when he said, take from him who has been an unfaithful steward and give it to him who has been faithful because to him who has much, much more will be given. Why? Because it's to finance every good work. If you can be trusted, God's gonna continue to pour blessings through you. So why does God make such a big deal about calling us to a life of generosity? Because he loves us and he knows some things that our culture doesn't seem to know. He knows generosity breaks the grip of materialism. He knows generosity aligns my life with the heart of God. He knows generosity strengthens my faith. He knows that generosity changes the world, that in the hands of Jesus, little becomes much. And so when it comes to how you're going to live your life, let me just close with this. Why would you live your life any way other than generously? Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you that uh, you have been so generous with us. We who have been forgiven so much struggle to forgive others. We who have been given so much struggle to give to others. Lord, it's our flesh that continues to dog us and we continue to have trouble doing the things we wish to do and we do not do the things we wish to do. And God, so much we need your spirit to fill us. We desperately need you to empower us. We need you to help us trust you. It really comes down to trust, God. So help us stop making excuses, talking about amounts and all of that kind of stuff, and let us be people who just release everything to you. And God, give the donuts to whoever you want to give the donuts to. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.